All right. Well, it is a joy for me to be here today with you, to share with you the Word of God. Sometimes it takes differences, not understanding one another, and even being a little bit irritated by or bored with each other, to remind us that the church is a family and not a club. At its best, this family dynamic of the local church functions as God's fertile soil for growing us beyond mere tolerance towards true expressions of unity and love. Scott Sauls wrote wrote those words in his book, Jesus Outside the Lines. And we're stepping out today of Pastor Aaron's Acts series, not to talk about something completely different at all. And in many ways, we're actually talking about the church. We're continuing on. We're just taking a little uh, diversion for a moment here this week to examine uh, the next in four values that Heritage Grace has been built upon. They're rooted in Scripture. They're not just kind of coming out of anywhere. That the leadership here believes is absolutely vital for a healthy church. These values are, are rooted in the Bible. And so the first value was, was, was talked about just a month ago, Josiah led us in what does it mean to be gospel-driven. And so today I want to teach and preach on the second value of heritage grace, being relational, okay? The importance of relationships. What does it mean to be unified in relationships, okay? If you were to read the website, the value states this. States this. It says, we cultivate relationships as the foundation for community building, gospel proclamation, discipleship, and accountability. So lofty goals. Those are, the, those are the goals that are expected to come out of actually relationships of the people in this room. Not to intimidate you or anything, but that's what's expected of your relationships in this room to be, uh, for what this church is going to be healthy and built upon. Why? Our relationships and unity in relationships so important. Well, let's not just talk about it. Let's open the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we want to land today. I'm going to read with you six verses. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6. The Apostle Paul writes this, and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have, been, you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of God to us. Now, we are parachuting into a chapter, chapter four. What has happened before? The Apostle Paul has answered in the first three chapters some really important questions. In chapter 1, he, he answers the question, if to, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, he, asks, he answers the question, why worship? 
He answers it in such a unique way because it's the most, one of the most epic run-on sentences that you'll ever see in your entire life. Okay, the, the run-on sentences runs all the way in the Greek from verse 3 to verse 14. Okay, no periods. Anyone, anyone care about grammar here in this room? This would drive you nuts if you read it in the Greek, okay? But in one sentence, Paul covers the entire scope of salvation history, all hung grammatically upon the declaration, all praise to our God and Father. Now, kids, I want to talk to you for a second here, okay? Your teacher may not love this, okay? If you, if you go to school and everything, but you can use this as the reason for why you're struggling with run-on sentences in your life, with, with periods, okay? You can just say, I'm just following the Bible, okay? That's what I want you to do, let's say, say this week. You're just following the Bible, okay? So that's, for, that's chapter one. In chapter two, we learn about grace and what is our identity in Christ. In chapter three, Paul answers the question on why the church in theologically at a head level is such a big deal. And these are the kind of questions that are foundational for the kind of right thinking that is required or else what, what we're talking about here, as we move into practicalities, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know if you know this, but I believe that the scripture teaches us that right thinking is what creates in us, the, what outflows from us right behavior. We have to actually get our thinking right before our behavior uh, will match. And so today, uh, it's at this point in time, the verses that we just read in chapter 4, that Paul transitions his reader. He transitions us to move from this idea of right thinking in verse, the first three chapters to right behavior. The need for unity in the body of Christ. And so the, the, the first six verses here, they declare the big idea for today. That a healthy church, Heritage Grace, a healthy church is marked by spiritual unity. Okay? Now there's something on a page, I think for the kids here. Is there a big idea? I, I hear Aaron tells me that there's a, it's important to share the big idea. Okay? And the big idea is a healthy church is marked by spiritual unity. And now, get this. The, this unity is not just us all committing to getting along. Okay? It's not that at all. You and I know that there can be a family unity out there, a family dynamic where people avoid hard conversations. They form boundaries that sort of keep people from entering into the, with their messiness, right? Sometimes you say, well, we can be in relationship, but don't, don't bring your stuff into my, my sphere, my life, right? There, that's a, a kind of family unity where, where there's no fighting, but there's no, there's no intimacy. The boundaries are rigid, and we don't enter into their lives. This, the goal of this kind of unity is to avoid uncomfortable fighting, uncomfortableness. But if we're speaking the truth today, you, know, you and I know 
that our relationships in the church can be captured with this simple jingle. And I want to put it up there. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. Right? Is that the goal? To avoid fights. To attend church as acquaintances where we greet greet each other on Sunday mornings with pleasant smiles. We We talk about a few things and then we go home and we come back next week and do it all again. And the truth is, we want more than this. You want more than this. At times, it may say, oh, that's hard. I don't want this. But you were designed for more than just being acquaintances. This past week, I could just sh- share with you, like, sort of that level of, of the need for relationships. I, a week ago, almost a week and a half ago now, I got really sick. I, I got a fever. I was sitting there with, like, up in the hundred, hundreds level of fever, and I was sitting there going, oh, man, I've got COVID. So I or something, I've got, I'm just sick, I don't know what's, what's going on, so I stuffed myself in a bedroom. Like, my family's got masks on, I got, I've got a mask on, and I don't leave it for four days until I get a test, right? But by the fourth day, I'm practically pacing, because I haven't talked to anyone other than maybe texting or something like that. I haven't talked to anyone in four days. I, I'm a relational person. I need uh, to talk to people. We were created for more than just isolation. We were created for deep relationship. And God designs a church for a spiritual unity that is a testimony of love to a watching world. How can I be sure of this? Why can I say that statement so dogmatically? It's because I believe that those those are the words of Jesus himself. We look to Jesus, Jesus' most pressing concern when he was leaving this earth, okay, when he was about to go, his, one of his primary concerns, when he's praying to God, he says he prays for the unity of the church. He was looking ahead to every generation of the of believers. And, he, and we see this in John chapter 17, verse 20. When you hear the words of Jesus, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have gave gave me so they, they may be one as we are one. See that? The father, he's talking to the Father, and he's saying that you might be one just like Jesus and the Father are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So he prays these prayers, and he makes it clear that our witness in this body, in this church, Heritage Grace, is our witness to a watching world in a fractured, rather messed up, chaotic world. 
And that world would be watching and seeing the love. And it would actually depend on our love as a witness. That's why this matters. Okay? We're not just playing around. The witness to the world around this depends on our unity in this room. It's not just something we're just hoping for. It matters. And if the importance of our unity is clear, we need to know how we are united. It's not just kind of an abstract idea. Paul doesn't just leave us in a place of saying, well, be united, throw a horseshoe to you, and good luck. Okay? No, he, he says, I want you to know in what, in what ways are you united. And that's what the next few verses build out for us. Paul lays it out. Three things that we should and that should and do unite our relationships. So let's unpack those together real real quickly here. The first one is this that do you realize that we are united by divine calling? Okay? What does that mean? Paul says here in this at the very beginning of chapter four. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Okay? He ur- the, the key word here is walk. Okay? Live is, is what you find in the New, new Testament. But there's a, there's a word there that can be translated as, as walk. Walk worthy. Walk is essentially another word for how do you conduct your life? How do you live each and every day? So Paul teaches the gospel in the first three chapters. And then he wants you to know, he wants his readers to live out their lives in such a way that is in keeping with the gospel. That's what the motivation is for living in such a way. That's the motivation to live worthy lives. It's rooted in our calling. Now, there, there is a presumption that I'm making here today. Like, that if you're sitting here now and, and in this room, that most of, your, most of you would identify as being called a Christian, okay? Now, I realize that is a presumption. Some of you might be checking this whole thing out. And I just think that's awesome. Just, we're so glad you're here uh, that you might say, well, I don't know what I am. I might be a, I'm, you might be a skeptic at this point in time. But there is a presumption that when I'm talking to you guys here today, that many of you are, would say, I am a Christ follower. I'm a Jesus follower. Whatever label you want to put on it, but I am a Christian. Right? And this text is addressing those who identify as a Christian. That the Bible declares that your identity is rooted in the calling of your name by God. Okay. He says, you are mine through faith in Jesus. And the question is, have we, have we lost the wonder today? The wonder of your, of the, of their calling. So many times uh, when you, when you see someone who has made a profession of faith, 
They come to Christ. Whatever word you want to say. They have a, they have a God moment. They have a Jesus experience. Okay, They come to grips with their sin. They, they come to repentance and they place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he, his resurrection is real, and they are transformed by the Spirit. Okay, they have, that, they have that moment, okay? And if you were to ask them, you'd say, man, they would often go, why me? There's a, a sense of like awe and wonder about, like, why would God choose me? And after a number of years, sometimes we begin to lose that sense of wonder, that sense of calling, that sense of like he... I can't believe that he called me. I'm no better than anyone else. Sometimes we even get to a place where we actually begin to think, man, God's a little lucky that he's on my that I'm on his team, right? But the truth is that no one deserves grace. What a privilege and mystery it is to be called by God to be a follower of his. I I say mystery because when we look at ourselves, I, I don't know why Jesus would call my name. But it is the great equalizer here today. This shared experience, this shared calling, calling unifies us in this room. It unifies us in this way that the calling of God does not pay attention to social status. It does not pay attention to family background, wealth, education. God calls introverts and extroverts to to his kingdom. Soccer and basketball fans, even golf fans out there. He calls every person on the Enneagram scale to uh, to this thing. And I joke about that, but it is the ultimate leveler of the playing field. That we are all unified by this calling that God has done in our lives. No one deserves this, but we marvel at the privilege of our calling. And so I ask you today a question. Heritage Grace, okay, this is a response. I say this, you are united by your calling. Do you believe this? Okay. This is not rhetorical. Do you believe this? Yes. Right? That God has called you and that you are unified in this room by this shared experience. So that's it. First one, united by divine calling. The second one is that you are united by Christ-like conduct. Okay? The second basis still actually kind of stays in verse 1, but it flows into 2 and 3. Your calling is not devoid of of implications. Verse 1 says, walk worthy. There is a conduct that is expected of a new identity. Now there's a story, and I have no way of knowing this is true or not, but it's a good story, and I think it works for my illustration. So I'm just going to go with it this morning, okay? Okay. But there's a story, because fact-checking Alexander the Great is really difficult in these days. But there's a story that Alexander the Great once met a man of disreputable character. And his name was Alexander as well. 
but his life was lousy, okay? So Alexander the Great looks at him and says, either change your way of life or change your name, okay? Because he didn't want to share the name Alexander with him. And in some ways, that's what we're called to as Christians, to change our way of life to one that is consistent with our name and position, to walk worthy of the calling, to conduct ourselves in such a way that it adds weight to the gospel and to the cause of Christ. Now, it it doesn't matter that you will not be perfect in this endeavor, okay? There, There is no way to perfectly walk worthy with our sin nature, with all that we are, we are facing. But have we resigned ourselves to some mediocre expectation of, of maturing and growing, of actually becoming more like Christ? And the good news is that God doesn't just leave walking worthy in fuzzy sort of impracticalities. In verses 2 and 3, we begin to see what our conduct should look like. It's marked by character traits. I was reading one commentary this week, and the author actually called them graces, essential for relationships to thrive and to be influenced by, and are influenced by our understanding of the gospel. So we want to look at these just really briefly together. First off, Paul says, be completely humble. Your conduct should be marked with humility. Now, if you get the gospel at all, that your, your righteousness is like a filthy rag to God. Okay, Not my words. Okay, Bible words. Your righteousness. All the good things you do, they're like filthy rags. Okay, And... And God purchased you back from the dead. That God even had to, in some ways, drag you to himself. You weren't the most willing uh, person to come to him. Okay? Now, if you understand that, you'll get that w- that uh, we should be humble when you look at others who are struggling with sin or seem resistant to the gospel. Right? It builds out humility in our lives that we are not, uh, we shouldn't have feelings of superiority or self-righteousness. We need humility in our lives. That's what our conduct should look like. And then he goes on and he says, and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, if we're again reminding ourselves of the gospel here today, if you're aware of how God treated you, with gentleness and patience, you will treat others in the same way. Now, there are times when I get irritated with people, okay? And people get irritated with me. Just ask my family, okay, on this one. True story. But the reality is that sometimes I get irritated. And a lot of times it's, you know, to be honest, it's around laziness sometimes or apathetic people, people who don't on that. And I, and I think sometimes I get really irritated and I think, I wonder how God sees me when I'm apathetic to even opening his word. When I'm harsh with other, impatient with others. 
Now, when I do this, it's a clear demonstration that I'm not in touch anymore with how patient and gentle God had to be and has to be with each one of us. And that's not me here trying to point a finger at you to shame you here today. I'm trying to look into my own heart and be honest here with you because the Word of God calls each of us to, to recognize that there are times in our lives, even as Christians, when we forget the gospel. It's not that we haven't responded to the gospel, that's not we're saved, but we forget the, the, the gospel implications and the depth of his grace to us. And that leads us to like the, the verse, the end of verse 3, where Paul tells us to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this verse, it jumped out to me because it reminded me about the very nature of peace itself today. The unity that we're called to, there's a human responsibility to maintain it. It's like so many times the mystery of scriptures. There's like a a human side to what we're supposed to do. But so many times there's God is the only one who can do this. And this is the very nature of peace. We we have a human responsibility to maintain peace, but there's a unity that can only be achieved through the Holy Spirit's power and presence. That's why it's called the unity of the Spirit. It's not unity of the church. It's not just a good unity. It's the unity of the Spirit. And so the truth is that the unity and love of Christians for one another is a natural, organic response created by the gospel. So if HGC, Heritage Grace, if you get the gospel, you will be infinitely more united. Okay? You cannot help it. If you start there, you will be united. It's only when we start to forget the gospel that we begin to tear apart or fray at the edges. We begin to neglect our relations with others and we neglect the body and unity begins to break down. So Heritage Grace, you've been united by your calling and you're also united by the conduct that you're called to out of it. Do you believe this? Good. There we go. I'm just looking for the front row. But but, uh, do you believe this? Okay, I'll start over here. Do you believe this? The calling and our conduct. Okay? So finally, Paul goes on, and in verses 4 to 6, he says this, You are united by what you say, what you declare to be true. Okay? This is really one of those unique moments where Paul kind of shifts. He, he forms a basis of unity by seemingly quoting from a creed or a hymn. Do you guys know, the, have you ever heard of the Apostles' Creed or any of those things? They're just like statements, the Nicene Creed. They're statements that have been written out that the church has sort of anchored into it over history and said, these are the things that are true. And here Paul seemingly is quoting from a from a hymn or a creed that it was written at that time. And so he roots unity in common belief. So look at 
all the ones. That's what we're going to call them, the ones of Scripture. Okay, so first off, he says, one body. Okay, there is one body, right? We are diverse in gifts, but united as one. One spirit, the one who creates unity and empowers it to be maintained. There is one hope, right? Good, good thing for today, we're talking about hope. One hope, centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that is your hope, okay? Nothing else. We believe that one day our bodies will be resurrected because we, are, we watch and we see the life of Jesus Christ who his body was, uh, died but was raised to life. And he says, you will be made like me. I say this because one chapter earlier, this hope that he talks about, Ephesians 2.12, Paul reminds the, them of their, of their lot, lostness. He talks about their background. He says, You're with, you were without hope. You were without God. But now, in Christ Jesus the far away have been brought near. This is the good news. This is the hope the far, that far away people can be brought near to God. And it's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have one Lord. Believers in Jesus Christ throughout history, when, we've, when it's been right, it's, we declare Jesus Christ is Lord. No one else. We have one faith, a common belief that we all share. We have one baptism, okay? Now, I think in this situation, it's not talking about the one water baptism, okay? It's actually talking about the common experience of being baptized by the Holy Spirit upon conversion, okay? We have one baptism that all believers throughout history have shared in, that if you come, place your faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit baptizes you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. One God and Father overall, adopted into the family of God, we all share one Father. So these are all ones. These are all the things that he's saying. There is. These are the things that unite. These are the things that we commonly believe together. And so two things, I think, come really clear out of this section. You could, it could be a lot more, but two things really leapt out for me. One is that our unity is not a unity at all costs, okay? We don't just say, well, let's, let's all just get along. It doesn't matter what we believe, right? It matters. Our unity matters in this way. It matters what we are united around. The goal is not simply to just get along. Unity is in Christ, or it's not unity at all, okay? It's some kind of false unity, we are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ in this matter. Now, J.C. Ryle, he's a pastor, commentator. He makes this in a really blunt point, And I was reading it this week, and I wanted to share it with you. Because he says, unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. Okay? It is the very unity of hell. Okay? Hell is unified. It is a place that is devoid of God. I don't know if you ever think of that. So simply put, it matters what heritage grace is united around, and the gospel is it. You can say that because I've been talked to Pastor Aaron. We've seen the all the all the teams join together. 
this is the unity that Heritage Grace is built upon. So unity is not a unity at all cost in our beliefs. But I also think this, this section of Scripture is a, an incredible picture of our relational triune God. I think this is one of the clearest pictures of the triune God in all of Scripture. God himself serves as a picture of relational unity. He was and is fully unified in himself. No, no, if you believe this, but uh, some, t- some people do believe this, that God in some way needed us, that God needed, uh, had a sense of loneliness, or uh, God didn't needed to create human beings to fill some void. And I tell you that that is completely false thinking about God. God was completely unified in himself. He was completely relationally satisfied. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect unity. In the Trinity, God shows perfect submission and relational unity, and it reflects, and we reflect, the need for relationships as the image bearers of God. Okay? It's not the other way around, that God has some kind of deficiency, and we, as human beings, fill it. No, we reflect, as image bearers, the need for relationship, because God himself is perfect unity. This is why we, cr- we crave intimate relationship with God and each other. So Heritage Grace, I ask you again, it says, you're united by a calling and conduct, and you're united by common faith and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? Yeah. So as we close this morning, the value of this church is to be relational to build care structures and accountability upon loving relationships with one another. But I hope you can see that this is not just a simple exhortation today to just get along. Our unity needs to be so much richer than that. And I tell you this, I just want to take a moment to say, I didn't answer the question yet on what, why, is, why are relationships important? And I think it's in this way, is that God uses relationships and they're God's design for growth and your sanctification. God uses relationships in so many ways to rub off our our rough edges, okay? Because we are forced in a church to to interact with each other, okay? But it actually does something even, even more profound being with you surfaces my own selfishness. Okay? Being with people often brings to the surface the things that I struggle with the most. And I tell you this it, it, it so often, is that when I'm by myself, I don't struggle with selfishness. I just take care of whatever I want to do. Right? It's when I'm with other people that all of a sudden, my own wants, my own desires, my, my own uh, things that I, I want come to the surface. My own impatience surfaces when I'm around other people and things don't happen when I want them to happen, right? And so God uses relationships to surface the idols of our heart so that we would deal with them before a holy God. And in many ways, this is the brilliance of the church, 
It is for your good that he puts you with other people so that you will deal with the things that he wants to deal with in your life. So relationships, care structures, being with others, why does he do it? In so many ways, it's for our good. So that our relationship with the Father is strengthened and that we would be transformed and more deeply sanctified. Friends, I don't exhort you to simply be united to each other this morning. I say to you, be united to Christ first. And I believe that this is what is necessary for our church to be united with each other. There's a quote by A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. And he says this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, by, but by to another standard by, to which each one must be ind- individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So may our goal today be Christ, and we will experience the beautiful unity that comes from pursuing him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. It is the the most amazing transformational thing that you could ever provide for us. Lord, as we read your word today, I ask for your Holy Spirit to do the work of conviction, encouragement. Only you know what people need in their hearts today as they hear the word of God. And so I ask today that your Holy Spirit would have freedom in this place to speak words of life and even hard things to us so that we might change. Lord, we thank you today for the church and how this church in particular, and I want to pray for my brothers and sisters today that they would seek you first and that their unity would be formed around the gospel. And I believe if they do this and we do this, we will see a greater unity than could ever be accomplished through attempting to just get along. And Lord, we know that your purpose for this unity is to be a testimony to the watching world. And so may this church be a witness, be a testimony through its love for one another. And God, I pray for this. I pray that you would grow this church not only in numbers, but in lives that don't, have not known you. People who are far away from you would become near and say, wow, I look at these people and I see how they love each other. What is, what is the deal? And I pray today, Lord, that only you uh, would be the answer. No other answer would be given. And so we thank you, Lord, and we love you. And we say this from our lips. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.